Well, I want you to take your bulletin. If you turn over to the, the back, the final page there, you'll see the, the outline for our message this morning. It's a part of our larger series that we're calling Knowing Jesus, and, and the final of four weeks where we've been looking at the different emotions of Jesus that emerge in, in the Gospels during his earthly, earthly ministry. We've, we picked out four of the most prominent ones that are expressed, the compassion of Jesus, the anger of Jesus, the joy of Jesus, and, and then today we, we talk about the sorrow of Jesus. And, and we're going to look at three different scenes uh, where the sorrow of Jesus really rises uh, to the surface and how that's really good news. Uh, Christ uh, at work for us, and then we'll see how that changes us uh, as well. Uh, but let's let's first pray for, for God's word. Lord, we do pray that you would use uh, your word uh, as that sword of the spirit to uh, to bring your your work, do that spiritual battle work in our hard home, our own hearts, uh, subduing us more and more to yourself, seeing the uh, the good news of what you have done. Uh, help us to see Jesus even through your word this morning. We pray uh, in His name, Amen. I shared with you a couple weeks ago that I've really benefited. Uh, from a book that I've been reading on the subject of emotions. It's written by a couple of Christian counselors, Alistair Groves and Winston Smith. And, uh, and they've been talking about how the Bible talks about emotions. And, and one of the things that they, that they observe, uh, talking about their years of, of counseling different people, counseling both, both Christians and, and non-Christians, they, they make this observation that, uh, that it's, it's not uncommon... Uh, to see that Christians struggle with emotions sometimes even more than non-Christians. That Christians struggle with their emotions uh, and how to process it even more uh, sometimes than non-Christians. They say, especially when it comes to what we think of as negative emotions, right? Emotion, emotions that are connected with feeling bad, um, sorrow, grief, sadness, uh, that, that sometimes Christians are more disturbed by these um, because they can be seen by believers as a sign of weakness, uh, even, even a mark of spiritual failure, uh, right? right? Clearly my grief is a, is a failure to trust in the promises of God. Uh, or this intense sadness, uh, I'm, not, uh, I'm not believing the promises like I should, Right, because aren't really good Christians those who have the joy, 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 joy of Jesus down deep in their heart, deep in their heart to stay? And so, if if I'm feeling sad or have intense grief, I, I must not, I must not be that good Christian, right? Well, that's why it's actually very helpful to study the life of Jesus, because you see this uh, this full uh, full range of emotions, and we know Jesus does it perfectly. Right? Just like us, only without the sin. Uh, and it's helpful to study uh, Jesus in the midst of his sorrow, his grief, his emotions uh, 
the negative ones in the sense of, you know, that make, make one feel sad or feel bad. Uh, and we look at these three scenes and we see, we see Jesus not, not just a little bit sad, but intense, intense grief, tears, sadness, overcome even uh, with that grief. Uh, and we'll see as we look at it uh, that we get one, uh, a, a wonderful picture of our true hope. Because Jesus is this man of sorrows, that's why we have hope in life. Uh, and also it gives us a window into what God is doing in us, how he transforms us, uh, not to be emotionally flat or even just emotionally excited all the time, uh, but a full-fledged human made after the image of God to reflect the very heart of God. So let's take a look at these three scenes uh, briefly. So we'll start with, uh, with John chapter 11. So you're welcome to turn there if you want. Uh, in your Bible, uh, John 11, if you have the Black Bible, it's over on page 897. You might know uh, what's going on in this, in this uh, chapter. This is uh, Jesus' good friend, Lazarus, has died. Uh, and Jesus now is coming to see Lazarus' sisters. Jesus, all of these are Jesus' beloved friends. Uh, Jesus is coming to Mary. He's coming to Martha. And then... And then we'll, we'll just read a couple verses, starting at verse 33. <clears throat> John eleven thirty-three to 35. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews who had come with her also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Lord, come and see. Jesus wept. A couple weeks ago, we talked about this when we were discussing anger, and we, we looked, keyed in on those words of, of deeply moved. Jesus was deeply moved, uh, and we said even more literally, it's that idea of indignation, that there was, there was, there, there was a, as Jesus sees the ugliness of death, there, there's, a, there's an anger in him, right? This isn't right. Uh, and, and here we are circling back to this scene and noticing that there's, there's, there's another emotion that comes with it, which, of course, is true of our emotions. They never come one at a time. Uh, there's, there's always a kind of a, a mix and, and mingling of them. So, yes, there's a kind of anger, indignation in Jesus, but also an intense, intense sadness and sorrow. Uh, as we look, verse 35, that Jesus wept, right? Not just that his, his eyes moistened a little bit, but the tears were streaming down his face. Often don't picture Jesus like that, but that's how John 11 pictures him. That here he is, he's facing the ugliness of death. He's facing the, the pain that it causes other people. Uh, he sees how much of an enemy it is, and, and he weeps. He weeps tears of pain and sadness and sorrow and, and grief. Now, now you probably know how the story ends, that, that Jesus, in just a few minutes, is going to raise Lazarus from the dead. Uh, right? That's where, that's where it's going. Jesus knows that's where it's going. Right? He announces it ahead of time. Back in verse 11, he says it to the disciples. Back in verse 23, he says it to Martha. 
So Jesus knows full well that the plan is to raise Lazarus from the dead in a couple of minutes of time. And yet even knowing that, the tears are falling from his face. It's, it's not as if Jesus forgets the plan for a few minutes. Uh, as if, or as if he loses faith in the plan for a little bit. And that's why he's crying. So you kind of put that together. Apparently, you can have full, complete trust uh, in the good plans of God, in the resurrection plans of God. You can have full, complete trust in the plan of God, the sovereignty of God, the goodness of God, and yet still have tears streaming down your face in grief and in sorrow. That those are not contradictions. That they can stand side by side. I mean, look at Jesus. He does it. And it's important for us to notice that because as we're talking about sorrow, this, this, is, the, this is the subject where most of, it will, most of us will face sorrow most frequently and most intensely, uh, is when someone we love dies. Right? This is where we will encounter that sorrow most intensely. And, and, it's, and, and if you, when you get to that place, not if, right? When you get to that place, uh, where the loss feels painful, uh, and, it, and it does come out, maybe in a multitude of tears, or at least an inner sense of intense, intense sorrow, as if, as if something ugly has invaded your world, um, then it's good to look at Jesus and realize that in that moment, in, in feeling that ugliness, in feeling that grief and that intense sorrow, you're actually mirroring the very heart of God. You're actually mirroring the very heart of God as we see it expressed here in Jesus. Right? The gospel hope is real. right? The resurrection hope is real. It's real for Lazarus. Uh, it's real for, for those we know and love in Christ. Uh, and and, and, and it's, not, it's not a balancing act. Uh, it's those two, two go together. That great gospel hope uh, is is fully compatible with deep sorrow over the ugliness of uh, of death and it's, and the pain that it causes. Um, you might remember how Paul uh, in First Corinthians, First Thessalonians four, he talks uses the language of of grieving with hope. Now, right, he's talking about those who those loved ones who die in the Lord and. And he, and he mentions to the Thessalonians, yeah, but we don't grieve as those with no hope. Right? Instead, we grieve with hope. Um, we grieve with hope. Right? They're side by side. And, and we need to be careful we don't rewrite those verses uh, as if they really say, because we have hope, we don't grieve. It doesn't say that. Uh, or, because we have hope, we don't grieve much. Nope, doesn't say that either. We might actually grieve more, because we get it. It doesn't say also that we grieve, step one, and then we have hope, step two. As if kind of grief has a time limit. You know, you got, you got until the funeral, or you have a year, or something like that. Then you're supposed to stop grieving, and then it's all hope. doesn't say that either. It says grieve with hope. They're together. Uh, and, and we look at Jesus and we see that reflected 
we see the very heart of God reflected. But there's, we need to get to other scenes of sorrow in Jesus. Let's look at the next one in Luke 19. So you can turn there too if you want. Luke 19, it's over on page 879. 879. And we'll read verses 41 to 44. Here, the context is important. Jesus is entering into Jerusalem. It's Palm Sunday. He's just been hailed as as the king who comes in the name of the Lord by the crowds. Great rejoicing. Uh, The crowds are rejoicing, and Jesus is is crying. Let's look. Verse 41. When he drew near and saw the city, he wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace But now they are hidden from your eyes. For the days will come upon you when your enemies will set up a barricade around you and surround you and hem you in on every side and and tear you down to the ground, you and your children within you, and they will not leave one stone upon another in you because you did not know the time of your visitation. So it's this really powerful scene. Here's Jesus. He's He's coming down into Jerusalem. He's coming down the Mount of Olives, and he sees Jerusalem. Uh, The geography is pretty significant, actually, uh, because the Mount of Olives is at a higher elevation than Jerusalem. So if you're going down the Mount of Olives towards Jerusalem, you get to see the city, like, down in front of you, like a panorama. And that's what Jesus is. He's descending, and he sees Jerusalem, this, uh, this very embodiment of the people of God. Uh, uh, the very embodiment of uh, of the people, and and he sees the city, he takes it in, and he weeps, and he wails over the city. Uh, in many ways, reflecting uh, the prophets of the Old Testament. Think of think of Jeremiah. Jeremiah often called the weeping prophet, and Jeremiah has the same reaction as he takes in uh, the people of God. Here's. Here's just a, a, a couple of verses from Jeremiah 9. Uh, Jeremiah says, Oh, that my head were waters and my eyes a fountain of tears, that I might weep day and night for the slain of the daughter of my people, for they are all adulterers, a company of treacherous men. So that's Jeremiah weeping over the people of God. And here's Jesus as the great prophet, and he sees the city embodying the people, and, and he weeps over it. Because they've missed it. They've missed it. What he says, the things that make for peace. Right? Here he is coming, and he's, he's bringing peace. He's bringing salvation. He's bringing an end to the warfare with God because of our sin, and bringing peace between God and men through his work. And they, for the most part, they've missed it. They're blind to it. They're hardened against it. Uh, they're, they're rejecting him and will reject him, uh, wanting nothing to do with his offer of, of peace. Uh, and, and he comes and sees that, and he knows it, takes it to heart, and it just brings grief. It brings sorrow. Uh, he, he announces that the judgment is coming uh, upon the city and upon, upon the people. Also strangely similar to, to Jeremiah. 
who also, weeping over the people of God, announced judgment that was going to come uh, to, to Jerusalem in his day. That the Babylonians would come in and destroy the city. Here, it's going to be a, a different empire that's going to come in and destroy, uh, destroy uh, Jerusalem. Just like Jesus predicts it, uh, that there's going to be this, this time when, when there's going to be a, a surrounding of the city. And we know this actually happened, A.D. 70. Uh, the Romans come in uh, in response to the Jewish revolt. And they, uh, they, they t- cut down every tree for something like nine miles in order to build a barricade around the entire city so nobody gets out. Uh, lay siege to the city. Something like 100,000 people die. Uh, in the in the siege, and then the city is uh, is invaded and and raised to the ground, uh, just like Jesus predicts. It stones are are torn down. Uh, Caesar gave a very specific decree that there's going to raise the city. There's demolition teams that come in and actually tear down stone from stone uh, to be this this picture of destruction. Um, but but Jesus here, as he predicts it, is not is not focusing in on the Romans. Uh, but but what God is actually doing, this is this is a judgment uh, for for this this rejection of the Messiah, rejection of of peace. It's the what what sin brings about. And if we kept reading in Luke, we'd see that that Jesus makes the connection between the destruction of Jerusalem that's coming and and a final judgment upon the whole world. That this one judgment is, is just a little picture of a, of a universal uh, day of judgment that's coming. And that those who, who reject the Messiah and his offer of peace uh, will have their sins upon them still and, and judged for, for that sin. That's what, that's what this, uh, this judgment of Jerusalem gives us a, a picture of. But what we get then is, is as Jesus discusses all this, you know, how, is he, how is he feeling about it? We're told his emotional state as he takes in the unbelief, as he takes in the fact that judgment is coming. Uh, And we're told that he weeps over the city. He weeps over the city. There's this deep sadness, intense sorrow. And again, he's reflecting the very heart of God. You could go back to to other places. Go back to uh, another prophet who talked about a coming judgment. Go back to the book of Ezekiel, for example. Uh, and here's, here's something that, uh, that Ezekiel says about the Lord. God saying, As I live, declares the Lord, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Right? You see that reflected in Jesus here. He knows, he knows that, that destruction is coming, that judgment is coming, uh, and he's not excited by it. In fact, he's weeping over the fact that that here life has been offered, peace has been offered, uh, and it's been rejected. Uh, it's, it's the very heart of God um, mirrored in perfectly uh, in Jesus. And, and as, as God's people, uh, filled with that spirit of Jesus, this is what God is going to be working in us, that we more and more have this Jesus-like reaction uh, in our day. Uh, because we see the s- same kinds of things. Right? It's not hard to look around and see and see a rejection of God, to see those who, uh, who want nothing to do with Jesus and his offer of peace. Right? That's, that's easy to see in our world. Um, what's, what's our emotional reaction to that? Well, 
Sometimes, sometimes we're maybe annoyed by it. You know, there's that voice in the back of our head, you know, we could use a little fire from heaven around here, right? Uh, maybe that's you. Uh, maybe, maybe more often than not, our reaction is just something of indifference. Right? We're, we're just so consumed with, with, with our stuff that we just don't have much emotional energy left over for, uh, for, for those who don't know the Lord. We're just so, so wrapped up in us and, and there's kind of emotional indifference to those, though, who, those who don't know him. Maybe that's what you struggle with. But see, as we, as we fix our eyes on Jesus here, we get this picture of this is how he's going to be changing us. This is the kind of work his spirit is going to do in us. So that we more and more uh, look at the, at the sinfulness around us, look at the, at the spiritual blindness around us, and it's going to produce in us more and more godly sorrow. Uh, a, a sorrow that, that, of course, humbles us. Lord, that would be me, apart from your grace. Uh, a, a, a sorrow that, that drives us to pray for those who don't know the Lord. Uh, a sorrow that desires to uh, to be used of God to point other people to Jesus, uh, but but mirroring this this very heart of Jesus. That's the work He will do more and more in us. But speaking of Jesus' salvation, uh, the sa- the final scene uh, that we want to look at really hones in on that salvation. And here we go to the passage we read earlier from Mark fourteen. <coughs> Mark fourteen. The, Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. And you you probably picked up, as we read, that we're told very specifically about the emotional state of Jesus. Mark describes it for us, and then Jesus describes it himself. Mark describes it, verse 33, Jesus was greatly distressed and troubled. Jesus then shares with the disciples what he's feeling. He says, verse 34, My soul is very sorrowful, even to death. Even to death, right? Right? So filled with grief and sorrow that it's almost as if you're dying. That's pretty intense. Uh, And and we're told that, that, that Jesus here... I read that he falls down and prays. Verse 35, he fell to the ground and prayed. That, that's not Jesus, like, you know, bowing low, the position of prayer or something like that. In fact, Jews typically would pray standing up. This is Jesus collapsing in, in agony of soul uh, as, he, as he brings his, his grief before, before his, his father. Why is Jesus so distraught? Why is he so troubled? Uh, uh, even even unto death. Well, he, he tells us, he describes it, verse 36, as connected to the cup, right? His prayer, remove this cup from me. Here Jesus is drawing on Old Testament uh, imagery that pictures the judgment of God as, as a cup you would drink, uh, that the, the cup of God's wrath poured out uh, would be given uh, to drink so that those, those who are judged, it's like they drink and are intoxicated and, and stumble and fall unto, unto destruction. That's the Old Testament 
uh, picture of, the, of many of the prophets uh, drinking the cup of God's wrath. And, and, uh, and of course, God, from the beginning, uh, the same holy God, the same God of justice, the same God who, who, who must punish sin, the same God had a plan, a plan to rescue us from the judgment we deserve. Uh, and the plan all along uh, to, was to rescue us from that cup of wrath, to rescue us from ourselves. But the way to do it, the only way to do it, was to have Jesus drink the cup for us. He drinks the cup of God's wrath so that we don't have to. He drinks it to the dregs so that there's none left for us. So that all the judgment uh, that our sins deserve gets placed on Jesus, drinks the cup. And there's none left for those who trust in him. That's, that's how we're saved. That's how we're rescued and are forgiven and declared right with God and have new life for all eternity. And it's because of that work of Jesus. But here is Jesus contemplating what that means for him. Uh, contemplating... Uh, having to actually drink this cup, contemplating uh, what it would be for the uh, for him, the the holy one, the one who knew no sin, to become sin for us, to to bear our guilt, uh, to receive that that full fury of the hell that that sin deserves, that he would he would drink that cup, and he's and he's contemplating that, and and that's why he's sorrowful unto death in emotional agony. Um, <clears throat> that's why he prays the way he does. Uh, right? If there's any other way, take this cup from me. Uh, right? His, his agony in a real way is not, just, is not just understandable. Oh, that makes sense. Uh, in many ways, his, his agony is the only appropriate response as he takes in the Right, the, the ugliness of sin and the horrors of, uh, of, of judgment and hell, like it, it bearing down on him, it's, it's the only appropriate response to be, to be overcome by it, to be horrified by it. Um, and yet, as we know and read, he's not deterred from his mission. Right? Not, not what I will, but your will be done. Right? He submits his human will to the, to the divine will. And he goes to his arrest and goes to his, uh, his execution. He doesn't go as a victim. Uh, he doesn't go as, as, as just passive. He goes willingly. He goes actively handing himself over. Uh, he also doesn't go as a, as a stoic, as kind of emotionally untouched by it. Uh, no, he, he goes realizing exactly what he's doing. He feels the full weight of it emotionally as he goes all to accomplish the mission, all to save us, uh, all who believe and trust in him. The intense sorrow of Jesus really uh, highlights uh, what's so very important about the cross. Uh, it highlights the fact that our sin really is that bad. It's, it's one we don't like to contemplate, uh, but you look at the grief of Jesus and we can see, oh, my sin is that bad. That, that to face bearing it and to face the judgment it deserves, 
it would do this to Jesus. My sin is really that bad. So it shows us, it highlights the badness of her sin, but then also it highlights the intensity of Christ's love for you. Uh, that, that he knew full well what it would cost, and yet he does it anyway. That he, he loves us and is committed to us that much. Think of that. Right? He bore all that weight. He knew it. He understood. He comprehended in his mind, in his body, in his feelings, all that that would be. And yet, did it anyway. He loves you that much. So we're talking about the sorrow of Jesus, the, the, the tears of Jesus. And it does. It speaks right to those moments in our lives when, when we're, we're in, the, in the valley of sorrow where we're in those deep, tearful, ugly places. And in those places, we can, uh, we can say to ourselves, Jesus, Jesus understands. Jesus understands. Jesus has been here. Uh, Jesus has felt this. We could even say Jesus still feels this. There, there's one to ponder. We won't. You can for homework. The fact that Jesus is on high and he's still fully human, which means he still has the fullness of human emotions. So, wouldn't that tend to think that Jesus still weeps at the things that made him weep on earth? We can think about that. But it, he he understands. He gets it. He's been there. He's faced ugly things like death and felt. The intensity, intensity of grief. Uh, he weeps with those who weep. And there is this great news uh, that comes right alongside of that. Uh, that, we can, that we can be comforted that Jesus emotionally went to a place that we'll never have to. As, as low as we go in this life, we see, especially in the garden, Jesus going to a place that we'll never have to go. In fact, he went there so we would never have to. He went and took uh, that wrath of God so that we wouldn't have to. So as, as hard as it, as it is and as, as difficult and, and um, tearful as it gets in the low moments of this life, we can see Jesus at the garden taking the fullness of God's wrath to rescue us so that we would go low but not as low as he did. In fact, so that we would be raised up, so that we would have life and life that doesn't end. So we would have the fullness of resurrection hope for us and for, and for those around us, that we can, in those moments, uh, we, can, we, can, we can say, as, as, as sad as I feel, as dark as this valley really is, uh, Jesus is holding on to me, uh, and he's not going to let me go. Look, he died for me. And he was raised for me. He's not going to let me go. And he purchased for me that new life where resurrection takes over everything. Everything. How does, how does Revelation describe it? That, that resurrection-transformed world that he's taking us to. Well, it's described as God wiping our tears away. 
is described as death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain, for the former things have passed away. Jesus won that through his own tears, through his own grief. And now, if you're his, he's taking you there. Uh, And that's our hope. doesn't mean we don't grieve. It means we grieve with hope. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the beauty of your love for us and the power of, of the gospel in the wonder of our Savior. We thank you, Lord, that we can, we can fix our eyes upon him and be, be strengthened, uh, Lord, strengthened even unto this resurrection life. Encourage uh, us even in moments of grief and hardship. Fix our eyes on Christ. As we follow him, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.